Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me if you would, please. If you're not attending the gathering, the men's breakfast, serving, it's time for you to get started. It's a great time. As you can see, it's just uh, pretty laid back and a lot of fun. Welcome all of you watching online. Let's hold our Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God. And I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm doing a series entitled Maturing Christianity, Maturing Faith, whatever it might, however you'd like to apply that. But the reality is, you've heard me say it many times, a mature Christian is one step away from being rotten. The green banana versus the yellow banana. And uh, you don't have to ever become rotten, but you do have to remain in process. Uh, You know, we're a work in progress, but we have to stay in the process to progress. And many Christians have uh, established their faith or their Christianity not on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but what they've done for the last 15 or 20 years. So we would say someone is a mature Christian If they do certain things, they uh, pray or they have a devotional time, they're nice to their kids, they attend church, they serve, they give. We say, wow, they've been doing that a long time. They're a mature Christian. Well, I'd love to believe that, but it scares me because it's not 10 years, 5 years, or, or the past. It's what we're doing every day. And we realize every day we need Jesus. Now, in Philippians 1, 6, I'll go back to this scripture probably throughout this series, but he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, we truly are going from one place of glory to another place of glory. We never want to become stagnant, and I believe there is a certain amount of uh, that, that mature and, and stagnant can become synonymous because people who uh, are bored with church because you've been attending for your whole life and you say, well, you know, I've been going my whole life and there's nothing new. It's not about what's new. It's celebrating about what's old. For thousands of years, thousands of years ago, Jesus gave his life. We're celebrating something that happened thousands of years ago. And, and so in a world that is constantly looking uh, for something new, And I'm not against things that are new, but I don't look for things that are new. I look for renewing that which has been established in me for many years and keeping that fresh. And a lot of that is how we approach life, not how we encounter life, but how we approach life. Because life does come at us hard every now and then. So it's important that we get up every day and say, I'm not going to really look today at how life comes at me. I'm going to look at how I go at life. And so uh, today I'm going to be talking about maturing enables us 
get this, it enables us and empowers us to use our mistakes and failures to our good instead of our own destruction. Now, I, if I asked the question today and I said, you know, uh, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made? Or if you just said to yourself, man, the biggest mistake of my life was. Every one of us in this place would have one thing that stands out and maybe some of us would have a multitude of things that stands out. Because mistakes, it, it will try to hang on to you for the rest of your life. And, and, and what they will do is they serve as an anchor, not to stabilize us, but to restrict us and hold us back. And many people say, well, you know, this is what I wanted to do when I got older, but. And then they can go down all the reasons they're not doing what they thought they would do. They're not who they thought they would be. But the reality is, if we really are maturing, we will never allow something we've done to keep us from what God's called us to do. So in Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, it says, don't interfere with good people's lives. Don't try to get the best of them. No matter how many times you trip them up, God-loyal people don't stay down long. Soon, they're up on their feet while the wicked end up flat on their faces. Now, we know that we don't have self-goodness. We have God-goodness. None of us are good in and of ourselves, but God is good in and through us. And so, the minute that we start trying to uh, qualify ourselves based on what we've done, we will eventually run our course very quickly because we haven't done enough good to qualify for the goodness of God, which is what I love about God because none of us have, can say, I've been so good, God, I deserve. No, all I ever do is wake up and go, I deserved hell, but Jesus came. You see, when we do that, it immediately, at least to a large degree, I believe, disarms Satan because he doesn't know what to do with that. Because when we start trying to play our own good card instead of our God card, Satan knows. He's been there. He knows. And he will get you to thinking that because of your mistakes, you could never be who you were called to be or do what you were called to do. And as long as I have breath in my life, I'm going to keep pressing in. Like Paul said, I press toward the mark. My, my name's all over the Bible. I, I, I don't know about yours. Mine, mine's all, I love the Bible. It's all over the place. So the great challenge here is this, and I'm going to try to differentiate between the two. If you're a type A person, it's very hard for you to acknowledge that you ever make a mistake. Type A people, and it's not that they don't realize it, it's just they don't know how to cope with it. Because type A people think that everything they do, and let me just say I'm a type A person so I can speak to this from the platform of experience, that our goal is perfection. Our goal is perfection. Now, let me say this. I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to say this for all the people who want to refute preaching today instead of listen to it. The Bible says, be perfect as I'm perfect. Well, I, there's no way that we can be perfect. Do we all know that? Does anybody think you can be perfect today? If you do, God bless you and the spouse you're married to. The reality is no one can be perfect. Only perfection works in us and through us. We don't work toward it and in it. 
because you can't be perfect. But many people try. So here's the definition of perfect. Entirely without any flaws, defects, or shortcomings. I don't see any hands. No, why? Because we all have flaws. We all have defects. And, and guess what? You may get rid of one, and then two will replace it. It could Because the minute you get rid of one flaw or defect, you'll get proud about getting rid of the one. And then you'll get arrogant. So the reality is it's just easier to say, I'm not perfect. Now, this is not an excuse for you to be intentionally stupid. Because that's what some people will do. Well, I'm not perfect. We know that. And I'm glad you know that. But I think we understand it differently. So excellent means possessing outstanding quality or superior merit, remarkably good. Now, so my goal in life is not to be perfect, but to do as excellent as I can, because excellent comes with flaws. And so I think the challenge is that if you set a high standard for yourself, and I think we ought to have standards and we ought to have goals, but if you don't achieve that standard for a lifetime, don't stop trying to achieve it. You may never arrive, and Jesus knows that. But it never keeps us from the pursuit of going after what God put in us to go after. So here are five ways to learn from your mistakes. Now, you can elbow your spouse right now and say, let's write these down. Don't tell them to say, let's write these down. Makes it a lot softer. Number one, acknowledge your errors. Acknowledge your errors. The, the hardest thing to do if you're a prideful person is to say, I was wrong or I made a mistake. Oftentimes what I do now is I say, you know, I really think this is what happened or I think this is what it is, but you know what, I'm not sure. And, and we have Google. It's a blessing. Just Google it before you say it. It's, it's funny, you know, there, there's this hurricane coming and, uh, in, in Florida, which is not unusual, and uh, coming toward it. And, and so I'm watching the, the weather, and it says, one, one meteorologist says, the Caribbean. And I'm thinking, he's from Berry Hill. Because Caribbean doesn't sound near as sexy as Caribbean. And so there would have been a day that I probably would have argued, is it either or either, neither or neither? And so a, a type A person will fight over how to pronounce a word instead of saying, not real sure, if you're a redneck, it's Caribbean. And there's nothing wrong with rednecks. They're rednecks. But if you want to be upper scale, it is Caribbean, man. And yet, we get bent out of shape, and, and guess what? The less absolute statements you make, the less mistakes you will make. Make sense? I'm helping some of you today, because some of you are, you're set on being right. It is better to be wrong and be married than right and otherwise. <laughs> and so many people... 
don't recognize their flaws for fear that they will be disrespected. Let me say this to you. You will find a lot more respect in not being a know-it-all. I know that there's going to need be a great need for marriage counseling after this sermon today. Number two, ask yourself, listen to this, ask yourself tough questions. What was I thinking? What was my emotion during this time? Because the reality is when we're maturing, we realize we're not mature. We're maturing. We're growing. We're developing. We're learning. This will help you in every relationship. It will help you personally, professionally, spiritually, in every way to realize I don't have to carry the pressure of being right. I don't have to carry the pressure of always doing right. I want to do right. And and honestly, I don't even have a desire to be right anymore. This is a wonderful way to live. Now, I like to do right for the sake of the kingdom of God. And and if I'm sharing information, I want to be as right as I can. But I also want to be fair. Um, At men's breakfast yesterday, it's... uh, I was sharing on kind of this topic and and sharing evangelistically, talking about introducing others to Christ and Christ to others. And I said, I made the statement, I said, you know, in a world that is now so digital and and everything's at our fingertips, uh, the old school preachers used to say, if you don't come to church, you're going to hell. I mean, at least the church I grew up in. And if they didn't say it straight up, you were made to feel like if you miss church, you weren't even a good Christian. And at bare minimum, you weren't a good Christian. And, and at the extreme, you're going to hell because you don't come to church. Well, over the years, we realized that was an inaccurate presentation and statement. So we, we encourage people to be in church. And oftentimes, leadership measures people's Christianity, if you will, by church attendance. And I don't really do that. But here's what I said. I said, you know, if you tell me you really love God, but you never come home, to his house, I said I would question it. It'd be like saying, I really love my wife, but I haven't seen her in six months. Don't you think there would be a little bit of an argument there? So at the end of uh, the, the men's breakfast, one of the older, wiser people came up to me and said, well, I, I can I kindly disagree? And he says, I have a friend who, who's uh, in America, but his wife's in Mexico, and he can't. <laughs> I went, okay, I get it. He loves her, and I, I've had the privilege of working with uh, a, a lot of people from Mexico and uh, at one point lived near the border, and uh, it was so precious. You know, many, they've come to America, work, and send money home, which was a demonstration of love. So there are always little twists, and I said, you win. I said, but the reality is on a consistent basis, if you tell me one thing and your actions don't line up, it will cause us to question it causes all of us to question whether or not your words are true. So we have to be willing to ask ourselves the tough questions. So if somebody says something to me, and I can either deflect it, I can reject it, I can say you're wrong, or I can say, you know what? Let me consider what you just said, and then begin to ask myself the question, how do I respond to this? Is there any truth to it? Whereas before, if I felt like it landed on me as a possibility that what they were saying is true, immediately I wanted to reject it because I didn't want to deal with it. 
And many people, the reason they don't come to God is not because they don't love God. They just don't want to own their sin. It's too painful to realize I, 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 I'm doing wrong, I'm living wrong, I'm not, I'm not honoring God, I'm not following his word. And as a result of that, we get down on ourselves versus saying, you know, I'm going to ask myself the tough questions every day. Am I doing better? Do I still get angry? Do I still get depressed? Do I still feel rejected and neglected? Because all of these things will cause us to act in a way that is unbecoming to us and to others. I love being around healthy people that that are not easily offended because I have a gift. It's just one of those things of opening my mouth, and I I try my best to, to gauge and measure what I'm about to say, but I'm not easily offended. If somebody, you know... When somebody says, with all due respect, go ahead and put your face mask on. They're getting ready to punch you. You know, can I ask you a question? That's always a scary one, too. But the reality is, for some reason, one of my gifts is being more offensive than less offended. Because I just don't get offended. And, And I'm not boasting. I'm just saying it's one of my areas. But there are people who get easily, easily offended. And they think everything you say. I mean, I've preached to thousands and, and, and after preaching, uh, and there'd be thousands of people, I'd be at the door shaking hands, and somebody would say, were you talking about me today? I'm thinking, really? I didn't even know you were here. <laughs> but because the sermon hit a nerve, they thought that somehow, for some reason, I knew the details of their lives. I've actually had people say, were you in our house last night? You know, I'm thinking, no, I'm just talking. And sometimes when people are talking and something lands on us versus asking the tough question to ourselves, we get mad at the person delivering the statement. I am thankful. The Bible says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That means sparks fly. And and I'm I'm not trying to get you to go home and have an argument or go to work tomorrow and have a disagreement. But I am saying in the midst of our mistakes, our difficulties, our failures, all of those things are platforms for growth. And we can become better people. But you have to be willing to ask yourself the question, how did that land on me? Why did I respond the way I did? What caused me to make that mistake? Thirdly, make a plan. Once you realize you have a flaw or a weakness in an area, and, and one of mine is, I've always been a rapid responder, not a first responder, a rapid responder, where if somebody says something, I immediately have a a response. And, And sometimes it's a gift, most of the time it's a curse. So what I do now, and this is my plan, before I respond, and let me say this to you, words are important. How, what word you use may change the entire structure of a sentence. Something may be inexpensive, but it's not cheap. There is a difference. When you use the word cheap, it implies that whatever you're talking about, an item of clothing, you realize, well, that, that was cheap. They tell you what they paid for, and they go, oh, no, no, I got a good deal on it. It was inexpensive, but it's not a cheap item. Just one word can change the entire structure of a sentence and a relationship. So I, my plan is to have a, what I call a pregnant pause before I respond. Now, I don't always do that, but I say, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me think about it. 
And, I, I, and, and that sounds hyper-spiritual, and some people it's an out. But for me, I'm thinking, you know, I really need, I really need to, to pause on this one, and I'll get back to you. And some people will say, I can't wait. I'm just going to say, well, then make your own decision. Because I'm not going to be the one to instigate wrong if I can keep from it or to contribute to it. Number four, make it harder to mess up. Make it more difficult. So, for instance, if in my life, because I've been in ministry a long time, and at the peak of that, having, you know, 10,000 members, 75 employees, I would tell people, I don't make decisions after 5 o'clock. Because I'm tired. I've had a lot to think about. And in your weakness is when you will make most of your decisions, in your fatigue. All you can do is ask pilots. There's pilot fatigue and trucker fatigue. And, and they're excellent when they're, when they're awake and they're, they're rested. But you let them get fatigued, and it becomes more and more a risk that they're going to make a mistake. So that's how come it's very, very important to rest well eat well, and, and meditate well on the Word of God and have a devotional time where you give, give God time. There's rarely a day that goes by that I'm not either listening to an hour worth of sermons, not my own, because I sound like Donald Duck to me. How many of you ever recorded yourself and going, oh, how could anybody? You know, I, I can't listen to myself. And so I listen to other preachers and, and, and listen to worship because I, I'm, I'm trying to make it harder to mess up. And when the word of God is coming into you and worship is filling your heart, it is harder to mess up because you're connected and growing closer to God. Uh, number five, create a list of reasons why you don't want to make the same mistake again. It's what I call not wasting a mistake, not wasting a sin. You're going to make mistakes in your life that you wish you hadn't made. You're going to make mistakes you shouldn't have made. You're, make, you're going to make mistakes you don't want to make. Everybody does. And the biggest mistake is thinking you don't make a mistake. That's the biggest one. And if your spouse or someone in your life has made a mistake, the last thing you want to do is keep using that as a bullet in your gun to remind them when they are getting truth about you and you bring up their past, you've just really made a big mistake. I have a policy in my life. If you want to make, bring up my past, you will not be a part of my future. Why would anybody want to go around reminding someone of something that hurt them and others? Why would you do that? Jesus doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, he says your sins are separated as far as from the east from the west. They'll never meet again. And so in our humanity, out of self-defense, we're real big on categorizing mistakes, filing those mistakes in our minds, and using them at a time we need them to shut someone else down. I hope this morning's silence is golden. This is a big deal because many people won't even serve in a church, not because they don't want to, but because they don't feel like they deserve to. You feel like you've done too much or you're not a good enough Christian to be a servant in the house of God. 
And there's not one of us that deserves to do what we're doing. I don't deserve to be up here. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. Because I know me. And I'm so human like you. Amen, Mark. Praise the Lord. You're so right. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm going to have to Red Bull, y'all. When I talk about stuff like that, it is sobering. It is sobering. The reason I'm teaching on this is because I think we can all grow and we can become better. Uh, I, I, I have steps that I take. Susan is my guinea pig. No, I, I know if I don't treat her well, it doesn't matter how well I treat you. She's first and foremost. And, and, and there will be times I open her car door and we're old. You know, old people should have an excuse. Well, honey, it's all we can do to get to either door. <laughs> Save us some steps. Every now and then she'll say, no, I got it. And, and every now and then I let her get it. And then when I go, why would I do that? You say, well, it's not a, that's not a big mistake. It's not, but it's a little mistake to me. Because, you know, in a world that is so filled with the idea of if it's not convenient and it's not easy, I'm not doing it. Because that's how we live. Everything's at our fingertips. I mean, everything. I mean, we, got, we, have, we went from microwave to air fryers. And if you don't have an air fryer, let me make a pitch for one today. A monkey can cook with an air fryer. And it's really good. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I'm just telling you, I can do this. I could so live by myself and survive with an air fryer. I mean, used to, man, you had to get the pots and the pans out, the ingredients together. No, no. I'm telling you, I have lasagna from Stouffer's that challenges Olive Garden. It's amazing, and for about one-tenth the price. I'm sorry, Olive Garden, your bread's phenomenal. But the fact is, we're living in a day and age when if it's not easy and convenient, I don't know if I want to do it, and I believe that weakens us from becoming better. So ask yourself the question, what am I doing on a regular basis that I really don't want to do or like to do because whatever that is is building you? Hopefully you're shouting hallelujah at home because it's quiet as crickets in here. It's to our advantage to take ownership of our role to fail successfully or fail forward. Don't fall backwards. If you're going to fail, fail forward. Use it as something that launches you. We're mature enough to acknowledge that the consequences of our direct result of our decisions, they're a direct result of our decisions, but we move on anyway. It would have been very easy for me to take another path years ago and and just decide, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, when I say it would have been easy, my relationship with God is, is really a strange relationship, I think, probably, because I relate to God, and God relates to me, and maybe he does to you, in a very authentic and raw way. God is really straightforward, and maybe God works, and this would be a great study for someone who was brilliant. How does God speak to people with different personalities? 
My personality's A-types, pretty sharp. So guess what? God knows how to get my attention. He's sharp with me. Not mean, sharp, direct. He doesn't like woo me. Oh, my child. It's like, get up. Would you really? Can you just imagine how God might be talking to you? Come on, suck it up, buttercup. Now, if you're a very sensitive person, God might woo you in the morning. You know, God rattles my bed, pulls off the covers, and get up, boy. And, and there, all of the theologians are going, that would never be the Lord. Well, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. Come on, somebody. wasn't like God's, oh, Apostle Peter, oh, you're so awesome. I really need you to teach my sheep. Would you do that, please? Get thee behind me, Satan. I think Peter was the type of guy that needed to hear from God. You need to get it right, boy. And so we try to make God one size fits all. And it doesn't. One size does not fit all when it comes to God. God addresses us all differently. We, we, we experience God differently. Some people experience God walking out in the fields of nature. Other people experience God in the midst of worship, and other people couldn't sing a note and don't care. And then people who are worshipers will judge those who don't worship the way they worship. Oh, I hit a nerve. So what I'm saying is some of our mistakes we make ourselves and we create our own enemies by creating the mistakes that we make. I was teaching yesterday and I talked about the three steps to evangelism and, and I, I was just trying, first, the first is just reach, just reach out to somebody. It's not that you have all the answers, I don't have all the answers, it's just can you connect? We don't connect to the world. As a matter of fact, the church historically has divided itself from the world for fear that we would become like the world, and we live in the world. We may not become like the world, but your temptation may to be. Second thing I said was relationship. What kind of relationship? You have a working relationship, a neighbor, a community relationship, a, 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 you know, a family relationship, but... So, so once you reach to somebody, you know, if you tell me you have a good friend, but you haven't talked to him in a year, I'd question how good that friendship is. It's a simple reach. Every now and then, I just wake up, and I'll text one of my friends. I, they live in other states, other countries. I just text them, hey, thinking about you today. That's reach, which opens the door for the relationship to be deeper. And then the third step in that is request. Once you ha have reached out to somebody, built a relationship, Requests are acceptable, and oftentimes the person you're reaching out to requests, would you pray for me? They don't even know God. And you've never tried to convince them to know God. You've just been a friend. But trust is the foundation that leads people into a deeper walk into that relationship of one with God. Trust. I trust you. You've been a friend. You've reached out to me. Would you now pray for me? And, and, and see, this is not easy, and it takes time. And there are times I don't, there are literally times I don't want to talk to anybody. Any of you ever have those times? No, some of y'all, chatty Kathy. You're just like sitting there waiting on that phone to ring, and it's like, if it doesn't ring in a minute, I got to call somebody. But I have those moments, and, and Susan will ask me, are you going to answer it? I said, no. So don't you want to know what they're calling about? No. Because if I know what they're calling about, or if they're calling about something I need to know, that means, may mean I have to do something. If I don't answer, I don't have to do anything. Now, sometimes they leave a message. If they don't leave a message, I know it wasn't important or they're really stupid. 
If you call someone, leave a message. Why wouldn't you leave a message? So you think that, see, I'm not the curious type. You call me five times, don't leave a message. I am inclined to never talk to you because I don't care what you want to say. You didn't say it. These are just little bitty principles that will help you in relationship. It's just rude. If you're calling somebody, if you're calling about nothing, tell them you're calling about, hey, nothing, just thinking about you. Hasta la vista, baby. Let it go. The big problem in in hyper-spiritual mature Christians is this. They blame the devil for everything. When you blame the devil, really what you're doing, listen to this. Think about this a minute. When you blame the devil, you're giving, giving the devil credit for having a way in your life. Well, the devil's just been, it must have been the devil that made me say that. No, it was you and your carnal voice, mind, and words. And if you're hyper-spiritual and you are a yellow banana, you disagree with me right now. Listen, I, I, I grew up, cut my teeth on the whole movement of the devil was behind everything. And you say, well, he, he does want to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I, I get that. But I have the power to choose, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So if I exercise the power of the Holy Spirit, the devil gets no authority in my life. So it's up to me to respond by the Holy Spirit instead of by the flesh. I keep saying this out loud, and you guys get to be a part of my personal life. My goal is to never, ever get angry again in my life. It's a goal. You say, why? Because I grew up in a really impoverished neighborhood where we learned to fight, and we were angry all the time. Because if you weren't angry, you don't want to hit somebody in the mouth. It's not like, hi, how you doing? Pop! No, you had to be mad in order to do something bad. And so, in my world, I was constantly living a defensive life, a life of constantly looking to deflect and reject things that would cause me pain. And you live angry because you have no connection with people. You've built a shield around your life. So, the greatest joy in life to me would just be to be the person that says, you know, and I know Will Rogers lied, never met a man I didn't like. Come on, dude. But it's a great thought. To say, I've never met someone I didn't like. It'd be, it'd be great. I, that, I don't even have enough faith to get that on paper. Because I regularly meet people that I go, go find another pastor. I mean, not totally really, but it's that kind of thing where I'm like, I mean, come on. Do you like everybody you see? Thank you. It doesn't mean they're not good, and it doesn't mean you're better than them. It just means there's a little oil and water going on. So we have to own that. We have to realize life is ours to change, not someone else's. If you're waiting on someone else to change so you can change, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. If they start treating me right, I'll start treating them right. If they change to be good, then I'll be good to them. The reality is they may never change to be good, so what are you going to do with that? It's a great mistake that we live with. And and every now and then I think, okay, I'm going to respond to someone the way they respond to me. Guess what? Where does that stop? 
Where does it stop? Somebody has to put the brake on this thing and go, I'm not going to treat you that way just because you act that way. The only way you can contribute to their life is to show them a different way of life. Instead of telling them there is a different way and they're the problem. Understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow in someone's life, you'll reap from their life eventually or somebody's. So however you want someone to speak to you, speak to them that way. This is a maturing Christian, and it takes time. People don't change overnight. Brain scans actually show that our brain grows more, listen to this, when we make mistakes. Because it means it's entered new territory, so there's more stuff firing People are way too scared of failure and mistakes, which keeps them from pushing themselves into new challenges. Now, I'm not trying to get you to go out of here and make a mistake today. In other words, if you see a police officer at the stoplight next to you, don't burn your tires and take off fast. Well, honey, I want to grow. No, you want to pay. I'm just saying, when you make a mistake, this is what happens. So you can divide failure into three types. Preventable failures, unavoidable failures, intelligent failures. Preventable failures, unavoidable failures, intelligent failures. An unavoidable failure, well, which is avoidable if I don't get on a space shuttle or a rocket, I'm going to fail. There are things you're going to fail out. It's unavoidable. You're not good at all things. Preventable failures is knowing your limitations, knowing that, that and there are people, honestly, and this, this may sound terrible as a pastor, but it's true of all pastors, and, and I just dare speak of it. There are people you cannot be around and grow. There, there are people, a wise man knows this, he wise walks with a wise, but a companion of fools comes to ruin. So there are people that, you, that are not good for your growth. You can prevent failure and mistakes by being around. I had a cousin, this was eons ago. I mean, we're talking probably the 60s, that uh, was a good guy. His name was Joe Crow. And Joe was my dad's older brother's son, and he had a friend that he ran around with. Actually, it was his brother-in-law. And so they went to a convenience store back in the day. He's driving. He pulls up. Brother-in-law gets out of the car, and little did he know that his brother-in-law was actually going to rob the store. So he goes in with a gun, and he takes the attendant and, and takes him with him. Doesn't kill him. But they catch them. My cousin spent seven years in Big Mac for a wrong association, a preventable mistake. Now, some of you won't come back because I had a cousin at Big Mac. I'm not talking about McDonald's. The maturing believer recognizes that our failures show us what we should and should not do in the days and weeks to come. They become lessons in where we went wrong and why, but we move on. Don't ever meditate 
on a mistake or a failure. But never waste one. And I'm going to close with this and listen very carefully as I read this. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than 1,000 other things. December 1914, he had worked for 10 years on a storage battery. This had greatly strained his finances. This particular evening, spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within 10 minutes, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records and film, and other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense that the water pressure was so low that the attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. Edison was 67 years old at this time. With all his assets going up in a whoosh, although damage exceeded $2 million back in that day, the buildings were only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and they were thought to be fireproof. Would his spirit be broken? The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father. He finally found him, calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, his son said. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. Now, this is a person who said, mistakes will not define me. They will refine me. It's important that we understand we're never too old. It's all a matter of attitude. So if you're here today and you're a little older than you think you ought to be to do something new, God's not done with you. God is not done with you. We can all learn from our mistakes. We can all get up and keep on moving. Keep a smile on your face. You'll confuse hell. Let's pray. God, you're an awesome God, and we in no way would ever want to discount the cross, mock the cross, dishonor the cross, on which all of our victories were won. So, Lord, today, everyone watching, everyone listening, everyone in this house today, I pray, God, that we would open our hearts to the breath of your Holy Spirit, blowing fresh and new today that you're not finished with anyone. As long as we have breath, we can make a difference. Lord, I thank you that difference resides in us. Newness resides in us. And that, God, we will never give up, give out, or give in. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a very simple prayer with all of us, those of you watching online. And I want you to know that today can be a new day for you. You can say, well, nobody likes me. Nothing good's happened around me. When things start happening good within you, beginning with God, it will change everything around you. But you have to trust him. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I declare today I am forgiven 
I am made new. I am on my way to heaven. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. It's your way of taking that first step to acknowledge your Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, we believe in you. If you live anywhere near this church in the Oklahoma City Metro, we invite you to come every Sunday morning, 5821 Northwest Expressway, 930 and 11, right here in Oklahoma City Metro. If not, find a church uh, that you can attend and be a part of and grow. Mature, keep maturing, and uh, watch and see what God does. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.